0: Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity we have to be here. Thank you for a church like Lakeside that wants to proclaim truth, that aspires to teach your people the word. And I thank you for the class that Robert's going to be offering, Lord. It is necessary in the life of every believer. And I pray that there will be a good response so that all the people that you desire would be there to learn and grow in their faith by learning how more accurately to handle your word. And I pray, Lord, for our class today that it would be a time of good fellowship and good teaching and i pray that you would equip us all today to apply the truth that we hear both in class and from pastor steve and then tonight when pastor steve teaches again we ask all these things in jesus name amen as we have begun our study of first peter in these few weeks that we've begun to look at the book I'm really spending a little bit more time than normal on First Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, the introductory verses of the book. I spent a Sunday telling you why I was teaching First Peter, and then I spent a Sunday giving a very, very cursory overview of Peter himself, because I think knowing who the author is gives a special credence to the book. He was a man who was a common man. He was a regular guy. He wasn't... A powerful, influential member of society before he knew Christ. But he was brought to Jesus. He was part of the inner circle of the inner circle of the inner circle of followers. And he had great pride in that status. And then he had a great fall. And then he was restored. And his restoration gave him a position of prominence. But from that position of prominence in humility, I think he began to teach the churches. He was a recognized leader, and he was addressing genuine believers in a particular geographical region. The region is set out by place names that we wouldn't even recognize. We could find them on a map or in a Bible dictionary, but the actual place is not as significant as the description, and so we spent time last week talking about this, and as I I gave an analytical framework or at least a teaching tool for me to use for dealing with these introductory two verses. After dealing with Peter, I basically said there's two questions we could ask ourselves in these challenging times. First, Peter was written to people who were going through persecution. I think we are going to be entering a period of persecution that is unlike anything we've seen in American history. And he described those individuals in the churches as aliens. Looking at other language, you could see strangers. The idea is these are people who don't belong in one sense. And the reality is, I won't reteach last week, but that's who we are as Christians. We don't belong on this earth. In one sense, we of course belong here in that this is where we live. This is where God has called us to claim the gospel. But our ultimate citizenship is not in America, for example, or Clearwater or any other community around here. Our ultimate citizenship is in heaven. So while we carry out and deal with life on earth, the reality is we have to remember that we're just passing through. We truly are aliens. As Peter described his original hearers, it applies to us. Every one of us is an exile. Even though, if you're like me, you were born and raised in America. But whether you're born and raised in America or somewhere else, the reality is every Christian is an exile. Every Christian is a sojourner, is a stranger, is an exile. The difference is, for a long time in American history, we felt like we belonged. Because what we perceived as our values coincided with what popular culture, by and large, espoused. But those times have changed. And if we've been deluded into thinking that really this is just we're accepted and we're the majority and we're a part of things, Peter would tell us to refocus Because the reality is, as much as we love America, as much as we might be blessed by America, America is not our ultimate home. Our ultimate citizenship is in heaven, and we need to keep that mindset. So that idea of where do we fit in this world, that was the first question I asked. Where do we fit in this world? We're strangers. We're aliens. We're sojourners. This is not the place where we should identify as our permanent roots. And I gave a little bit of a caution That we have to be careful that we don't ever put our allegiance to a country before our God. But this morning we're dealing with the second question. If you missed last week's message or the prior messages, they're on the church's website. I could show you how to find them. Our messages are recorded and they're uploaded. So you can catch up on any of this. Or if you want to know a little bit more about what I said, you can find out. But the second key question that Christians must answer in difficult times is this. Where do we fit in God's kingdom? Where do we fit in God's kingdom? I've already talked about where we fit in this world, but I really believe that if we reflect and think and mull over and meditate upon the answer to this second question, we're prepared to deal with whatever comes at us from society. Be it persecution be it personal trials, whatever is the case, I think the answer to this question of where do we fit in God's kingdom really is the anchor for our souls in the midst of the storm. This becomes the fortress that protects us in the middle of a battlefield. If we truly wrap ourselves in the truths of what is being said in just these simple introductory verses... We'll be prepared no matter what, even if we face the ultimate persecution. Even if we were somewhere where we had to suffer death for our faith, we would be overcomers. We would persevere. So I'm going to read all of 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. But we're primarily going to focus on what in my version, the New American Standard, is the end of verse 1 and verse 2. So... We'll read, if you can follow along in your Bible, I'm going to read, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. These verses... Summarize our past, present, and future if we dwell on them and think them through. If you know Jesus Christ, these verses say something about you that should give you great encouragement and comfort. They tell us where we fit in God's kingdom. They give us our identity. And in a world where things are constantly shifting, where the ground seems to be shifting under our feet as right becomes wrong in the public eye and everything seems topsy-turvy, this will anchor us. This will ground us. So I want to go through these phrases in what I hope will be an illuminating manner, but they'll be a little bit methodical. Because each aspect of this tells us something about who we really are, which tells us where we fit in God's kingdom. So if I were to show you the Greek, the word order in Greek is a little bit different. These translations are fine. The way the word order goes together is a little bit different. But in this context, I'm going to summarize. In essence, what it's saying is to those who are chosen. Now, in between, there's all the place names and the geographical locations, which we've already talked about. But for our purposes, what I want to start with is that this is addressed to those who are chosen, If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is a description of you. It's a description of me. Now, unfortunately, this whole concept causes a lot of believers more angst and concern than they ever should. The word translated chosen in English here, some versions would translate it elect, and those are both accurate. They're conveying the same idea. It's the same word. And what this indicates is that the action of choosing, the action of electing, wasn't something that we did. It was something that God did. We're going to see this in great detail in just a moment. Because I'm going to explain to you how the triune God was at work. But the fact remains whether we Agree with it or not, in one sense, we are a chosen people. That's what the Bible says. doesn't matter if we nitpick. this true. And I've heard people who have struggled with a particular issue say, Well, I just won't believe that. Well, it doesn't matter. It's true. I don't care if you believe it or not. I do in one sense because I care about your souls. But what you feel about something doesn't matter. It's from God's Word. It's true. We are chosen And the choosing is done by God. And I know that bothers people. If you were here when Pastor Steve taught through Calvinism, it caused some people anguish. Some people left Lakeside because of his teaching. And I can assure you his teaching was biblical. It was accurate. The fact remains, over and over and over again, scriptures teach a simple truth. God chooses sinners for salvation. If we understand our state as dead in our trespasses and sins, we didn't choose God. God chose us. And this is throughout Scripture. I've got a lot of verses. I'm just going to reference them. You can look them up. I won't read them all. You could go to Colossians 3.12. Those who have been chosen. Romans 8.33. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? It's the same word. 2 Timothy 2, verse 10. Paul talks about what he endures for the sake of those who are chosen. On and on it goes. In fact, what Jesus said of his own disciples is true of every believer. Jesus said this to his disciples in John 15, verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. It can't be any more clear than that. And this is consistent with God's history. He didn't make the nation of Israel his people because they chose him. He didn't go and get Abraham because Abraham chose him. No, God reached down and chose. Nehemiah 9, 7 talks about God choosing Abram. Ezekiel 20, verse 5 talks about God choosing Israel. Acts thirteen seventeen one one of the many great sermons of the early church. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers. So if you think about this, and this is somewhere in my notes, because I remember looking it up, but I don't remember where it is in my notes. There's something like 7.4 billion people on the earth. There's actually a little counter out there. You can look and they're showing the births every second. It's pretty bizarre, whoever thinks these things up. <laughs> But I'll accept their number, 7.4 billion people on the earth. What the Bible is saying is that out of those 7.4 billion people, if you know Jesus Christ, God chose you. Think about how many other things on the earth that you stand out. Most of us aren't getting calls from the world's elite and the power brokers. I've got a lot of Ideas about running America and I'm almost 50 years old. Not once has a president called me and said, Joe, I need your help. I'm going to guess most of you are in the same boat. I don't recall ever being invited to the United Nations to address the world. I'd have a lot to say to them. We're just not that important. But in God's kingdom, it's different. Because he reached down and chose us. And the Bible, first Peter as he addresses that, and you come to grips with the idea of what? God chose me. He tells us sort of how this worked out and in the doing so you see the work of God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Son. The triune God is at work. To those who were chosen, in beginning of verse 2, uh, I read from the New American Standard, has this little phraseology, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. I've been studying the Bible for a long time, and as I was ruminating on this, as I was thinking it through, it still is fascinating to me. In this context, the word foreknowledge has a specific meaning, and it doesn't just mean knowing something beforehand it refers here to an eternal choice of God. It's the type of word that as we think about it, our minds go poof, because God is so much bigger than we are. But God deliberately, intentionally, in eternity past, before there existed this planet, knew you by name, And he wasn't looking saying, well, I'm going to look and see what Joe does. No, before anything happened, he chose. It's not because of anything you would ever do. If you know Jesus Christ, God chose you and it wasn't because of anything you would ever do. It was simply because he wanted to show his love to you. We were chosen by God. If we know Jesus Christ, we were chosen by God before anything existed. God knew He was going to show His love to us through Jesus Christ. God had already purposed in His perfect plan to create a family from fallen humanity. And if you know Jesus Christ, you're a part of that family. It truly is incomprehensible. I can't fully grasp the immensity of these things. And I think sometimes where people break down and they're thinking about who God is, is they really are convinced that they can figure it out. If we could figure it out, it's pretty clear that it's a human device. But we can, by God's grace, understand what he wants us to know. And he reveals to us in his word things that are beyond our full comprehension, but we know they're true. God the Father, this is my real focus though, as you think about the world we live in, as you look in the mirror every day as you're getting ready. God the Father chose you and he set his love upon you, even though he knew everything about you. He knew your sins, he knew your weaknesses, your struggles, your doubts. In one sense, you could think for a moment about all your failures and your shortcomings. And even after you knew Jesus Christ, the number of times that you have engaged in hypocrisy in the sense that you knew better and you didn't, or you knew better and you did. We've lived out what Paul talked about. I know what I should do, I didn't do it. I don't want to do that, I did it. That's our life. So if you think of all your failures, all your weaknesses, all your shortcomings. Recognize that God loved you anyway. And then I'd tell you to stop thinking about those things because they're not profitable. Unless they're leading you to repent of behavior that you haven't repented of. You don't need to go back and live in that. I think this is one of the hardest things to understand about God as I sit and I think is that He still loves me. I can't get my hand around that. But I'm thankful for it and it's true. And it's true of you if you know Jesus Christ. Your worth and place in God's kingdom isn't determined by your performance. Your worth and place in God's kingdom is determined by God choosing to make you his child. However bad you think you are, and you're probably worse, God loves you anyway. How can that not be a source of comfort in a crazy world? Because the world's going to hate you more and more. For many of you, even your own families don't like you. And I don't mean just because you're a cantankerous, unnice person. I mean, <laughs> the aroma of Christ is a stench to them, and they don't want any part of it. God knew the very worst about you, and He still saved you. You go back and look at Ephesians 1 3 to 5, where it talks about God predestining us. To adoption as sons. According to the kind intention of his will. Really I think Peter would echo in these introductory verses. What the apostle Paul says in Romans 8. If God is for us who is against us. That's your starting point for facing the rest of life here on earth. So where do we fit in God's kingdom? He chose us. And set his love upon us. And he did it knowing Full disclosure, everything about us. But we see something of how the triune God works as we continue further. Who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit. God the Holy Spirit is the agent who works in us to make us holy and sanctified. The word sanctified in Scripture, when you see it in a theological context, refers to two things. It can refer to the immediate sanctification that occurs when we are saved. We are sanctified. God, from that moment forward, forever sees us as clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We are perfectly sanctified But even though God views us that way, we understand as we walk on the earth, we continue to struggle against sin and we become more and more like Christ. That terminology is also sanctified, sanctification. And that refers to an ongoing process whereby over time, through obedience to the Word of God, we become more and more like Christ. We never get there, but if we're walking by the Spirit, we get closer and closer To the example that Jesus set for us. And there's a lot of discussion into it. By experts. But as I come away. I think really Peter is alluding to both aspects. There's an aspect in which the spirit. Executes God's choice of us. Executes probably not a good word. That sounds very fatal. Um, He carries out God's choice of us. He makes it operative. When we're born again, it's by the Spirit of God. But the Spirit continues to work in us, as we're going to see just in a moment, to obey. And that's that ongoing purpose of work. We have been set apart by the Spirit of God. We are empowered by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is continuing to work in us, and marking us, and setting us apart. If you were to think of it visually, and again, these are things that are hard to do, but go back to that 7.4 billion people, populating the planet. Some of them are sealed by the Spirit of God. We are marked by God as His children, I don't think certain scriptures are a perfect analogy, but from an imagery standpoint, this conveys the idea that comes to my mind. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 41 to 43, Jesus is talking about a future judgment. He's not talking about today, necessarily, but he's talking about a future judgment. And it says, the Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness, and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. The angels know the difference because God has set forth and marked his children. I don't think it's a physical mark, of course. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying, though, is if you were to think about our place in God's kingdom, we have a special ticket. We have a special place. We're on the inside, not the outside. Again, you think of our current chaotic world where everything is topsy turvy. I've shared before in different times. I I like the show Deadliest Catch. It's a show about crab fishing up in the Bering Sea. And they're on these hundred foot plus boats. And the waves are 30 and 40 feet. And it's always fascinating to watch. But it's like, man, what nuts. I'm glad they do it because I like crab. But it is crazy. But in a sense, I mean, the Bible even uses imagery of a rough sea. That really is looking more and more like our world. Things are crashing over the boat and the waves are hitting. And in the midst of that, the Spirit of God has set us apart. He's sanctifying us. He's working in us. You know, we're approaching football season. And a football player, a lot of times, they'll be out on the field. They're on the first team. They make a couple of mistakes. And guess what they're doing? They're on the bench. They're carrying somebody's helmet. Praise the Lord, God doesn't do that to us. If you're living and breathing, He has something for you to do. You're still on the first team. And it's the sanctifying work of the Spirit that keeps us there. As 1 Corinthians 3.16 makes it clear, the Spirit of God dwells in each one of His children. And he is working in us for a specific goal. Who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. If, again, you're hearing my voice means you're alive at least for the moment. I can tell you God's will for your life. I don't need a diagram i don't need a chart i can tell you god's will for your life obey jesus christ that's it obey jesus christ i've shared before that there was a time and and pastor steve would remember it but i've heard people criticize the teaching of lakeside because it says the statement was well he's just teaching the bible how are you going to obey jesus christ if you don't know what he told you to do. And if you think he's whispering or that he's talking through the prophets you're seeing on TV who also want you to give your credit card number, you're wrong. He's speaking right here. He's spoken. Pastor Steve for 35 plus years has done something that's not very fashionable. He opens up the word of God and goes verse by verse, period. Because how are you going to obey all that Jesus commanded, which is part of the Great Commission... If you don't know what's in the Word of God, the answer is you can't. We devote a staggering amount of time on Sunday morning to teaching. A lot of churches try and keep the messages a little bit shorter. We don't want to bog people down. We think just the opposite because you need to know how to obey Jesus Christ. And that only comes from being saturated in His Word. Now, in reading through and understanding the text, it's likely that Peter might have been using imagery here. It seems pretty straightforward to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled by his blood. It's probably that he was using imagery that would have been borrowed from the Old Testament. An instance in Exodus chapter 24, when Moses gave the law to the people, and he gave the law to the people, and the people said, All that you say, we'll do it. Everything God said, We're going to obey. And then Moses literally sprinkled the people with blood. It was a mark. It was a a covenant type ceremony. In fact, Exodus 24, verses 7 to 8 says, Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. So Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Now, I think Peter was using that imagery, but it means something completely different. What we know from the Old Testament is that the history of the people of Israel shows that those were hollow words. All the Lord said, we'll obey until tomorrow. (laughs) Then they're grumbling. Then they're complaining. But as you should be well aware, because I think some of you might have heard a few teachings from the book of Hebrews... Jesus' blood changed everything. The sprinkling of the blood by G- that's being referred to by Peter is something effective in an entirely different way. And unlike the nation of Israel, who could never obey, we've been empowered by the Spirit of God to be able to obey. Whereas the people of Israel promised obedience, but then were doomed to failure. God is bringing about obedience in our lives, and by the power of the Spirit, we can succeed. In fact, as Jesus said, our obedience is evidence of whether we actually love Jesus. John 14:15, "If you love me, you will keep my commandments." Here's the bottom line of all of this. Again, I'm just trying to lay a foundation for our study of 1 Peter. And I think Peter lays that foundation in these introductory marks. He wasn't laying out a theology book. He was giving a simple greeting with profound truth in just a few verses. The bottom line is that God has given us a task for which he has equipped us, which is obey God's word. However much you think you know about the Bible, you don't know enough. Period. I've been studying the Bible. I've been a believer for over 20 years, not quite 25 years. i got a lot more to learn. Pastor Steve would say the same thing as a believer for even longer. Some of you have been believers a long, long time. We always need to know more. But the chaotic and crazy world doesn't negate the truths of God's Word. And every day we can know when we wake up and we put our feet on the floor, what does God want from us today? He wants us to obey. God knows we struggle. God knows we fail. I think that's one of the allusions to the sprinkling of the blood of the Christ is that we can always be cleansed. We're in one sense permanently cleansed at the moment of our salvation, but we need that ongoing cleansing First John one nine provides great comforts so if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Think the imagery of the sprinkling of the blood of Christ means the continuing application of it. Not in some sense that we need more to be saved, but in the sense that we need to be reminded that the cross was sufficient. And that if we turn from our sins, it is gone, it is forgiven completely. So let me try and bring this all together. Where do we fit in God's kingdom? I want to briefly summarize it in what I hope is a comprehensive way, but a brief way. And sort of laying the groundwork of where we're going. The world increasingly despises us and what we believe. The world increasingly ridicules God's word And rejects it more and more. And the more we cling to the truths of Scripture, the more we're going to be labeled ignorant, bigoted fools. For some of us, we're going to have to pay financial consequences for our faith. For some of us, one day we may pay even greater consequences for our faith. Jobs may be lost. Family relationships may be severed in spite of our efforts at reconciliation. Yet through it all, no matter how difficult things are or how difficult they become, understand this, God is for us. God chose us before the foundation of the world, used His Spirit to sanctify us at the time of our salvation and in an ongoing basis, and gives us His Son not only as our Savior, but as our perfect example and beacon so we can follow in His path. That's who we are. However small and insignificant and weak and frail you feel, understand that God's picked you up out of all of that and given you a treasured place in the kingdom of God. So when Peter concludes his greeting saying, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure, he's just saying what's logical for God's children because we've been shown God's unmerited favor. We've been shown God's grace. And we have a peace that the world can't comprehend. We have a peace with God That unbelievers will never know. And Peter's just expressing his heart to fellow travelers. Fellow strangers. He wants them. His original hearers. And he wants us. To recognize. And experience the blessings of God. That God prepared for us a long time ago. Before we could ever imagine. And I think he wants to be clear, even though he's going to be hard on us, he's going to tell us to be holy. He's going to rebuke us for sin. He's going to rebuke us for rebelliousness. He's going to chastise us for all kinds of failures. At the end of the day, his starting point is not that any of that is what gives us the place we have in God's kingdom. It's God's choice of us. And everything that follows is really just a way to bring about in the lives of his hearers more grace and more peace. And I pray that as we study, that's what we're going to experience, is more of God's grace and more of God's peace because we're going to need it. Please join me as I close our time in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we can't wrap our minds around the fact that you chose us. Lord, if the world was choosing up sports teams, we'd be the last ones picked. We don't think the right way because we believe your word. We don't do the things that the world does. More and more, we're going to look stranger and stranger to the world. Lord, at times, we're going to compromise we're going to fail like Peter did. When we should stand strong, there are going to be times, Lord, where we flinch and we're ashamed and we're humiliated. But I thank you, Lord, that we've seen in Scripture the restoration of Peter and we know you wait and stand there to restore us. Lord, I pray that we would be a holy people. Pray that we would live better lives, I pray that we would obey more than we do now, I pray that we would be better examples, I pray that we would be less hypocritical, but Lord, based on your word today, I pray that we understand who we really are in your kingdom. Lord, even though we don't fit into this world, you chose us, and you love us, and you made us your children, and we marvel and say thank you. And Lord, in a room this size, there may be people here who don't really know you. Even if they say, Lord, Lord, their hearts have not truly repented and been humbled. I pray that you'd open their eyes. Pray that as they hear Pastor Steve teach in the main service, that you would convict them of sin. And that you would bring about repentance in their lives so that they would come to faith. And at the moment of their salvation, Lord, I pray that they would begin to understand what we've talked about this morning. Your choice of sinners. And for those of us who know you, Lord, strengthen us. Enable us to experience more and more of your grace and peace. We ask all these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.